Welcome to Cauldron of Worlds. Episode 11, Making Monsters. Well, hello, welcome again to Cauldron of Worlds. I'm Chad Corey, and this is the last podcast of Season 1 of the first season we had started here in 2020. So if you've been watching, or excuse me, if you've been listening from the very beginning, thank you very much for doing that. If you're just catching this for the very first time, hello and welcome again. I do encourage you to check back on the previous episodes if you're interested in learning more about what we've been talking about and kind of the process in which we've been engaging to bring that about. Again, a little refresher here real quick. We kind of go from the macro to the micro approach, at least for this first season here, which means we are looking at the largest possible scope of things and working our way down into the smaller nitty-gritty aspects of world building. And again, we have worked through several very more, I guess, larger concepts and gotten to the point now where in the last episode we talked about creating races, and in this episode we'll be talking about making monsters and kind of how about going a couple different approaches to doing that. Before we get into that, though, I want to do a quick little shout-out here, a little reminder to people who might not be aware of it. That Trial of the Wizard King, the second book in the Wizard King trilogy, is available now for pre-order just about anywhere you can find it online or even in bookstores. They can be happy to take a pre-order for you there, too. It is available in print as a trade paperback, a audio version, and a ebook. So you have a couple different options there to take advantage of. And you should be able to also put an order in, if you like, to your local library if that's your preference for getting reading material, uh, they'll be happy to probably facilitate that for you as well. The book will be coming out on March 16th, 2021. So as I record this now, just a few short weeks, actually a few short months away, it could be here faster than we realize it here as we're kind of getting close to January now and moving into that new 2021. I also wanted to make you aware, for those who don't know again, that the third book in the trilogy, Triumph of the Wizard King, has recently been released for pre-order. So you have the option now of being able to get the entire trilogy, uh, get part of it you know, right now in the stores, Return of the Wizard King, and then get the other part pre-ordered and have it available for you to pick up and read right away when it is coming out. That book will be coming out officially publishing in August of next year. So again, it seems like a little bit of a distance away, but as things go and as you get older, you realize time is a relative uh, thing to understand and gets faster and faster as we move along here. So again, we'll probably be looking at the summer before we even know it again and thinking about what happened in 2021. But those books are out there. I want you to be aware of that. I will be sharing more information about upcoming tours and upcoming goodies and things you can take advantage of, including sample chapters and all that kind of fun stuff as well. So do uh, check out the social media and my website, chadcorey.com, for more information. All right, that's stuff all the way. Let's talk about looking at making monsters for today. And in some ways, it's going to be kind of similar to what we approached uh, last episode with creating races. Obviously, some of the things are going to overlap as far as the, the physical descriptions, the, the diet, and the the idea of where, you know how to go about designing the template and stuff like that. So I'm not going to get too much so into the repeating of what we talked about last episode. If you wanted to take advantage of that, again, take you know, look at that. Take a listen to it and kind of see what we're looking at in general. I'm just going to, going to highlight and uh, emphasize some various aspects of the monster creating process that makes it a little bit different than making races. And when I, when I say monster here too, that's just a general broad category that covers a wide range of 
aspects of a world design. So if you have, a, you know, like you said, a sci-fi fantasy kind of thing, if you have aliens, or if you have robots, or you know, killer weird phantoms from a different dimension, whatever the the thing might be that might be considered the antagonist or the hostile peoples or creatures or beings against your main people, your protagonist. That's the monster is just a catch-all phrase for all of that. Again, I can't get into the real nitty-gritty for your particular world setting because I don't know exactly what it is. But I'm just giving you the basic overview of how I've gone about it and what I've learned and, and uh, found works well for me and I think would work well in general for you. So making monsters, basically how I go about doing it is first of all figuring out, like we did with the uh, races, so a couple different elements that we can kind of call our touchstones or some elements that we can kind of uh, come back to time and again to relate to or build a, a foundation on as far as a feel or an element or an aspect visually or culturally or something that we can kind of pull from. Obviously, if you're talking about monsters, you're looking at something that's more, I don't want to say animalistic. Again, it depends on what you de- describe as monster, but there there's some kind of characteristic, some type of element about them in general that you want to have emphasized. Maybe it's a horror element, maybe it's a comedic element, maybe it's, again, a visual element or some type of cultural theme or touchstone you want to kind of bring out or emphasize in them in general. Again, that's going to determine the flavor and feel of how you want to do that for your world. What do I mean by that? Well, for example, if you want to have something like a traditional goblin, let's just say traditional goblin from a generic fantasy setting, those are usually going to have a certain look or a certain flavor. Now, this is the downside of doing, well, in particular, fantasy, but also just any type of creative uh, creation of monsters in general. You're going to have a very visual repertoire now on the Internet where people are just going to have an immediate connection with something. If you say a word like goblin or hobgoblin or, you know, werewolf or something, they're going to have an immediate image that comes to their mind because they've been raised in pop culture, at least most people have, if you have the internet or TV or comic books or what have you, you're going to have an image of what that creature is. And so the challenge with making monsters is you try and make them unique for your setting, but understand, of course, that there's going to be some things that are always going to be the same. You can't really change every single aspect of a classic monster like a goblin and have it still be a goblin, if that makes sense. But you can play around on the edges, you can play around with the flavor and feel and things and do a lot of fun stuff that makes it completely, I guess, tailor-made or tailor-specific to your world but keeps the flavor and essence of that monster intact. And what I mean by that, again, going back to the goblin idea, let's say you change things cosmetically. Usually goblins have to be, not have to be, usually goblins are portrayed as some kind of greenish color for some reason. I don't know where that got started from, maybe someone does. But that's the traditional idea, the little short, pointy-eared creature that, you know, is kind of a greenish hue. Well, the first obvious thing you can change with that is the color of their, their skin tone. So you could do something like a very dark brown to a very pale white to a very deep red to a very vibrant blue. You know, you get the idea, just some dramatic color schemes that could kind of change the whole flavor right there. You can also do something very unique and maybe make them have like flesh tone, like we consider like Caucasian skin or medium or olive colored skin. That would be something completely different. Now you have kind of a quote unquote human looking goblin that adds a little bit of a different element to the flavor and feel of the character as well. Then you could incorporate other elements with like say their ears. Sometimes I've seen goblins that have this really long pointed ears, kind of the exaggerated 
concept there going on for the pointed ears, or you could do a very subdued pointed ear, or have no pointed ear. Again, these are very simple cosmetic elements. You could change the the teeth. Sometimes they usually have sharp teeth or canine teeth that extend over their lips or things like that. And you definitely have claws or not have claws. And you know, you get the idea. You can kind of start tweaking some things, changing some, some things around in a very minor element, very minor ways that could instantly change the way the goblin is understood and conveyed in your world setting. The big flavor and change, obviously, at least for me, is monsters, if, if they're not animal monsters, what I mean by that is like monsters that don't really have a, an identity outside of like, you know, sleep, you know, eat, procreate kind of thing. If they don't have like a culture, they don't have a society, then then that's a different type of, you know, an animalistic monster. monster. But if they have a, you know, most general fantasy or even sci-fi worlds, whatever, have a, these monsters have a society, they have a culture, they have a identity, they have a way of life. That's where you're going to start setting things apart with these individual monsters. So again, let's go back to the goblin example. And you could have them based on like an African type of culture, which would be completely different. And people wouldn't necessarily think about that or know how to you know, understand that. And that's kind of a fun alien aspect you can kind of bring into that. Or maybe they're a highly advanced society that has great technology. And everyone else is kind of the savage compared to them. And they're very erudite and very educated and kind of aloof and, and, and uh, exact opposite of what you'd be thinking for monsters in general or goblins in general. Or they could be based on a, like a Viking type race where they go around raiding on the seas and things like that. And they have a very Norse-like culture and, and visual elements to their uh, costume and dress and things like that. Or they could be Egyptian and live in the desert or uh, Arabian and live in the, the plains or desert, kind of like the the Huns as well, you know, kind of a tribal people on the horses and steps and things like that. So you get the idea. Just by starting to mix up some various ideas and cultural things, like we talked about last episode, you can begin to flavor and uh, kind of spruce up the idea of the monster in general that I think would be for your benefit in kind of a fun, unique way, but also keeps the core elements of the character intact, if that makes sense. What I typically tend to do when I do um, world creation and monsters in particular is I, first of all, seek to get back to the original roots of what this creature is. And by that, I mean going back to the traditional mythological source material, the legends, things like that, the stories that originally where they first appeared. Go back to that original source material and see how they were originally presented get back to the original baseline of what these creatures, monsters are supposed to be, and then reevaluate and see how I can incorporate them and make them function more properly for, for the world setting I'm developing. And a lot of times when you do that, you'll find out that there are some very interesting elements of these creatures that often just got pushed by the wayside or sanitized, if you will, or just forgotten, or some elements that you think you always thought were there, but aren't. And that's kind of fun and interesting to see that you've always been thinking of them this way, and then the original source text says nothing of the sort. So again, going back to the original source material was helpful for me. It shows me what the, you know, the roots of this character, this monster are, and then allows me some ideas and some foundation in which I can build. Because basically, when you're going down to the mythological and legend sources, 
it's it's not copyrighted, so you're not going to be any concerns about taking someone else's designs and making it your own. And that is something you might want to take into consideration. I mean, it's it's one thing to take something, right? You know, you could call a D and D type goblin or elf or whatever, and or Tolkien type, you know, elf or goblin or whatever. That's one thing, and that's that's kind of. I think universally done to some extent that a lot of the fantasy out there, a lot of the sci-fi out there, they're taking from things that have already been established by other writers and, and creators and things like that. But if you can, it's probably best just to avoid that. I mean, unless you want to pay homage to someone like that and kind of add that for some elements for your own purposes. But in general, it's always better to kind of have your own take on something and to have your own spin on it. Make it your own and unique. That way you're not going to get in any trouble or have any issues with people coming back and saying, well, your character, your monster is very similar to what's been done over here, and that material is copyrighted, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You, you, just, you just don't want to make a lot of trouble for yourself or cause a lot of uh, unnecessary comparison. Again, unless that's something you want to do, maybe you're doing satire or something, you want to incorporate those kind of things into your work, I don't know. But in general, it's just, like I said, better to have your own approach to things, your own identity for these monsters, and go from there. So the mythological foundations, legends foundations, the, the source material is is probably, I'd recommend it, the best place to start checking things out. And then, like I said, put on elements and various layers of cultural aspects, ideas, identities, change cosmetic things, change things around culturally as far as like their, um, their social mores or their morality, if you will. So maybe instead of it being considered an evil race, it's actually kind of a very good race. And they're just kind of misunderstood. They're actually a very noble and high race kind of thing. Um, again, maybe the goblins are very, like I said, very educated and very enlightened and, and peaceful. And people think they're warlike and, and things like that. So again, it's not it's not a major change or tweak. It's something that's pretty easy to do, but it adds another element of flavor to things that you can really, I think, uh, get some benefit and enjoyment out of as far as creating and writing in general. Now, when it comes to doing the actual monster monsters or the animalistic monsters, if, if you will, uh, that's a different story because you don't have the cultural elements. You don't have the, I guess, lack of intelligence there. I mean, you, don't, you have a lack of intelligence, excuse me, there that would hinder you from having a type of society or a group or things. I mean, you probably could have like, you know, herds or whatever you want to call it or, or social gatherings of that sense of animalistic nature. But you don't really have, you know, them going around and building towns or making weapons or cultural icons or, you know, clothing or things like that. So, you know, for example, let's take a griffin. I've done several different takes on griffins now, a couple of different worlds. And it's always fun, I think, to see how you can reinterpret it. And again, what I do is I go back and you look at the source material and you look at how they are described, how they are presented in the original source material. And that's your foundation, that's your base, at least for me. And then when I go in, I kind of add some change some things around. Maybe you can change the type of horse that they're supposed to be. Maybe you can change the type of bird they're supposed to be changed into. Maybe you can change the combination of that. Again, coloration, size, uh, their habitat, what they eat, how they interact with other creatures and monsters and things like that. So again, you're, you're tweaking and changing things more on the periphery, on the cosmetic side. But it's still enough of a change to make it unique and innovative and, and, and uh, comprehensive, I think, for people to get and grasp and enjoy. Again, if you make things totally new and unique, and you can certainly do that. You can certainly take things from whole cloth. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But when you're doing stuff that's more uh, pre-established or there's a cultural ethos out there, I guess, if that's the right word, or cultural identity for these things, you want to tap into 
something that's familiar for people, but then you tweak it around, you change it visually, like I said, visually, uh, size-wise, you know, all the various things we mentioned, and that, that makes you your own unique take on it. And I've, you know, I've done that with other monsters and things, too, that are more animalistic, for instance, you know, dragons and, and things like that. That's a classic thing that everybody's going to know what a dragon is, right? And everybody has an idea what a dragon is. Well, your challenge is, if you have dragons, is to try and figure out how to make it make it your own and make it unique without seeming too super generic, unless that's the way you want to go. And again, that's totally fine with you. Now, with if it's something completely whole cloth, like we mentioned previously, that's a different story. You have complete complete control over that, what you want to incorporate, what you want to do. Maybe it's a big slime monster. Maybe it's a big mass of tentacles that tries to eat people. Maybe it's a weird amalgam of some other types of creatures. Maybe it's a two-headed you know, giant thing or a multi-armed, uh, I don't know, a creature of some type. Um, it's, it's a lot of variations you can do on that. So whatever you want to incorporate, obviously, that makes sense to you. And that's going to be totally your own creation. And uh, usually what you can do with that, too, is get some inspiration from mythology, from pop culture, if you will, from legends, and kind of incorporate and build your own your own monster from that. But again, try when, when you do that, if you're trying for something completely unique and original, try not to borrow entirely uh, from everything that's out there uh, in the social media realm and the pop culture universe. Just because, like I said, you don't want to necessarily try and take things uh, even subconsciously that you might get in trouble for later on. So, but again, it's not, not nothing. I mean, you, you can't copyright the humanoid form. I mean, that's going to be pretty easy to do. You can't copyright certain elements and things. So that's, that's something you certainly have freedom to do when you're creating your characters. But again, I can't get into super specifics and details on the whole cloth method because again, I don't know what you're doing for your world, but you can do some bizarre stuff. I mean, you could have things that are just like pure thought given life. You could do things that are invisible creatures. How do you, what do they look like? I don't know. You know, no one really knows because they're invisible, right? You could do things like intelligent slugs that, you know, try and use telepathy and things to get around. You could use, you know, brain moles or something that live in the, <laughs> the brains of people or something. Or, you know, you could do microscopic animals. You could do super huge, gigantic animals, like things the size of planets that come and try and eat other planets. You know, you could do stuff like cosmic horror and stuff like that. You could do like giant uh, living comets and things that are actually, you know, slowly evolving creatures that grow and develop as they move along the cosmos. So there's a lot of interesting and weird things you can incorporate in and do into your world setting for those original monsters. But again, those are probably going to be more likely than not monsters that don't really have a culture or don't really have a, an element that you could incorporate another layer with. They're probably going to be more animalistic or, or singular in their pursuit. Like, you know, the planet-eating monster is probably going to be pretty much out there in the universe eating planets. He's not going to really try and develop a society or a culture or a type of clothing line or something to, to, to take his time. So again, those are some things to think about. Again, it's I'm, I'm piggybacking on what we talked about last episode, just trying to get your mind thinking about some different ways, different ideas to kind of move into uh, monster creation. I think that's one of the more fun aspects of the world creation process, as well as figuring out where you place them and what you do with them on your world setting and giving kind of a historical connection with that, with the other races that you've you've already established. So hope that makes sense. Hope that gives you some benefit. If you want to hear some more, if we can maybe, if you want to like explore that more often, let me know by dropping me a comment or a question. It's just simply cauldron. That's C-A-U-L-D-R-O-N 
at chadcorey.com. That's C-H-A-D-C-O-R-R-I-E dot com. And again, I'll be happy to take a look at what you've written in and see if I can answer any questions or maybe if I can expand some things that people might want to know more about or not talk about certain other things you don't want to learn about. We can kind of see what, what fits best from there. But in the meantime, thank you so much for listening. If this was your first time, again, thank you again. If it's you've been listening all through the whole season, thank you very much. And have a great holiday season. Have a Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. And we will see you at the turn of 2021. This podcast is copyright Chad Corey. All rights reserved.